And I believe God wants to do something not just through the worship, but through the word and in each of our lives afterwards. So let's just keep this presence. Let's just pray again. God, we ask that you just come, still our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is the living word. And Lord, we thank you that your word will accomplish that which you purpose and will not return to you void. And I pray this morning that your word will accomplish that which you purpose. That you would be glorified in and through our lives as individuals, in and through the life of this church, Lord, as we go on into 2016 and beyond. God, we want to be a people who glorify our God. So, Lord, come. Help us now as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're back in John, Jesus being the center. At the beginning of this series, we looked at uh, the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus calling us to follow him. We looked at the authority of Jesus. We looked at the living water. We looked at Jesus being the bread of life. And if you look at John's gospel, Jesus is the center, isn't he? He's the center, not just God's gospel, but the whole of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus, yes? It's all about the person and work of Jesus, God's son who came into the world that we might know him, that we might be reconciled back to the Father through him. Question I want to ask this morning is, and it might seem a bit strange, but are you an Oliver? Are you an Oliver this morning? This will become a bit clearer as we go along. But I want to go back to the theme that people have mentioned this morning. The water of life, bathing in the water. I want to go back to this theme of water. If we haven't had enough of water, yesterday threw it down all day, didn't it? But think of those poor people in the north of England. I'm from the north of England. And and Scotland, who have been flooded. Just think of them. Water, water everywhere. And I find it interesting that God would use water as a symbol of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a symbol, is fire, there's wind, there's water, there's oil, and there's the dove, isn't there? And in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, water was all there was. Do you realize that? It wasn't until the third day of creation that God caused dry ground to appear. And to this day, about 70% of the earth's surface is covered by water. Water was one of the main elements that God used in creation. For example, did you know, I hope I've got my facts right, I got this off the internet, so I'm open to be debated, but this is what the guy says. For example, a tree in a field is made up of at least 75% water. If you go down to the local KFC, their chickens, when they're alive, had 75% water. And the common pineapple has 80% water. And what about you and me? 
Water comprises more than 60% of your body. 70% of your brain, now I understand. (laughs) 70% of my brain is water. I think it's perhaps got more. 80% of your blood is water, contains water. Now we have some doctors amongst us, so I don't know if you can argue the fact with that, uh, Kirsty, but there we go. You see, water is essential, isn't it, for life? What are they looking for on Mars? Water. It's essential for our physical life. And let me say, the Holy Spirit is essential for your spiritual life. Without the Holy Spirit, you have no life within you. It's essential for your Christian life. Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So let's go have a look. We're looking at chapter 7 this week. That's by way of introduction. And we find Jesus, you don't need to look at it yet. It's going to come up on the screen later on, the verses we're going to be looking at. But we see Jesus, his brothers are going up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Or going to Sukkot or Sukkot, literally means the Feast of Booth, which commonly translated in English is the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a week-long feast commemorating the 40-year journey of the Israelites in the wilderness. It's one of the three feasts recorded in the Bible, and all Jewish males were required to appear before the Lord in the temple in Jerusalem. And this feast, like all the feasts of Israel, had a purpose. They were to remind the Jews, and should remind us as Christians as well, that God has promised to deliver his people from the bondage of sin and deliver them from their enemies. Part of God's deliverance to the Israelites was his provision and protection for them for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness, prior to entering the promised land. And this is the same for us today. As we wander through this wilderness of the world, we're heading glory to our promised land, aren't we? We're heading to our promised land. Some people have got there before us, but we're heading for our promised land. And Jesus knows that going up to this feast, his life is going to be in danger. The Jewish leaders were out to get rid of Jesus. And he says to his brothers, he's not going at first because his time has not yet come. Yet, we read a few verses later on that he suddenly, he goes up secretly to the feast. You see, at that time, there's still a lot of debate who Jesus was. An imposter, a fraud, Messiah. Then midway through the feast, we find Jesus sat down discussing and teaching about the Old Testament, about God, much to the amazement of the Jews. They exclaimed, how did this man get such learning without having studied? He'd not been to any rabbinic school or anything like that. He was the carpenter's son from Nazareth. He hadn't been to college. He hadn't been to anything. He was this ignorant peasant from Nazareth. That's how they looked upon him. And Jesus answered, I love the words Jesus says, My teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. What a statement to these religious leaders. Right, turn to your Bibles now if you want. Two, it's going to come up, John 7, 37 to 39. 
I love this. On the last and greatest day of the feast. So Jesus has been there sat discussing and talking with the leaders. But then on the last and greatest day, it says Jesus stood and in a loud voice. He didn't sit there talking away. He stood up and he made a proclamation, didn't he? He stood up so everybody could hear him. He said in a loud voice. He didn't say it quietly. He said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive up to that time. The Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. It was a feast ordained by God. And Jesus stands up and talks in a loud voice about water. Why? Well, in Exodus 17, we have the record of the Israelites journeying through the wilderness. There was no water when they got to this particular place. And don't forget, there's not just these thousands of people, but there's all their livestock as well. Sheep, cattle, etc., etc., etc. And they came to this place and there was no water. They were thirsty. And they complained to Moses, Moses, we haven't got any water. You've brought this, this place and there's no water. We're all going to die in the wilderness. And Moses goes to God. And what does God tell Moses to do? He says, take the staff that he had all held over the water and strike this rock. And what happened when he struck the rock? Water gushed out. There was enough water to satisfy all the physical needs of the people and their livestock. There was an enormous amount of water. I don't know how they contained it all or what they did or how it came down, but that's what happened. This water satisfied their physical needs. It was a life-giving water at that time. One commentator says this, Jesus presents himself at the Feast of Tabernacles as the rock of Moses' day, which, when smitten, produced life-giving water. Did God provide not only manna, but water from the rock? Jesus is that rock. Jesus is the source of the water of life. All who would come to him in faith are welcome to partake of him. The result is not only that they will have life, but they will have it through the Spirit, become a source of life and blessing to others. Look at these words of Jesus. On the last and greatest day, he stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. So firstly, it was an invitation. His invitation to come and drink. And God was speaking to uh, Jesus, rather, speaking to God's chosen people, the Jews. They were there for this celebration, this feast God had ordained. But these words today speak to us as well. Jesus said, if anyone. Does that include you? He doesn't exclude anybody. No matter your colour, your creed or your social standing, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Right through John's Gospel, we see Jesus say, come to me. All of the religions point to a way. You go this way, you follow that. Jesus is the unique. He says to the world, come to me. I am the answer. I don't think any of us have really known 
what it is to be truly thirsty. Anybody here? Yeah, we, we play a football match or play tennis or whatever, and we get thirsty. But to be really, really, really thirsty. You see, during the feast, the high priest would go to the pool of Siloam. He'd take a golden pitcher, dip it in the water, and carry it back to the temple. And then he would pour it out before the Lord as an act of sacrifice, at the altar of sacrifice. And at that moment, the Levites would blow the trumpets and the crowd would cry out, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, Isaiah 12, 3. There would be a great celebration because it's the end of the feast. They'll be dancing, they'll be shouting, they'll be singing. They'd have a right old time. We are so reserved, aren't we, as English people? We're so reserved as English people. But they celebrated. They celebrated. They had a feast and a celebration. And then right at the climax of this feast, it's when Jesus stood up and cried, if if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So as the water is poured out during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus, in effect, is making the claim, I am the rock. I am the rock you celebrate. And the Jewish leaders at that time knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. They knew this was referring to the rock that Moses struck. They knew what claim Jesus was making. That's why they wanted to kill him. He says, I am the rock you celebrate. I can satisfy your thirst. I can satisfy your innermost need. Come to me. Now, every one of us in this place this morning have needs, don't we? There's not one of us has not got a need. And we're all born, if you like, the Bible tells us, I think it's in Ezekiel, with eternity in our hearts. And I often refer to that, and many people do, as a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. You were born with eternity in your heart. You were born with a place that only God can fill. You were born with the need to worship. And people will worship all sorts of things today, won't they? They worship money, they worship power, they worship sport, keep fit, homes, improvements, anything. But it never satisfies because it's not shaped the same as the shape of the hole in the heart. What Jesus so loudly and publicly proclaims to one and all is an invitation followed by a promise. If you're thirsty, then come to me. The condition for the invitation is an awareness of thirst. It's an awareness of thirst. Only Jesus will and can satisfy the desire, the thirst of our hearts, if, such a small word with such a big meaning, if we will come to him. You know, Oliver, it had his meagre portion. And he's still hungry. It didn't satisfy him. And egged on by his mates, because they didn't want to go, he took courage and went forward. It took a lot of courage to go forward. And he went, can I have more? He knew where to go for the source of the miserable bit of porridge or gruel that he had. But he was going to a hard taskmaster. One who would beat him for his request. Well, actually, 
We come to a loving Heavenly Father. We come to the Son of God who died on a cross, who demonstrated his love for us. Who do we come to? We come to him. He won't push you away this morning. He wants you to come, to come, to come to him. But you need to be thirsty. Are you thirsty for more of Jesus this morning? I've got one yes here. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> maybe, woo, this is, this is maybe a terrible thing to say, but I'm going to say it. Maybe you have enough of Jesus in your life. Maybe you've got to a point when you say, I've got enough of Jesus, thank you very much. You know, Jesus saved me. You know, I'm living a good life. I'm living a happy life. I'm content. Why do I need any more of Jesus now? I'm I'm settled. Maybe you've never known the touch of Jesus in your life. I don't know everybody here this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never known the touch of Jesus in your life. See, this morning, you can come to Jesus for the first time or the hundred and first time or the thousandth and first time. Jesus will never push you away. He will always welcome you. The Apostle Paul spoke of this water in 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4. He says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Paul understands that the rock Moses struck in the wilderness was a prophetic statement of what was yet to come. What Jesus would do for you and for me. When Moses struck the rock, life-giving water came out. And in the same way, Jesus was soon to be struck, to be crucified, to fulfill that enactment. He would offer life-giving water, the symbol of the life-giving spirit. To all who came to him. You know, Steve spoke last week about New Year's resolutions, didn't he? We were talking about it in life group. We had life group this week. We had a great time, by the way. So if you're not in life group, get in a life group. Um, he said about a resolution, but also revelation more of God. And a lot of people have said, and I've heard say, they want more of God. They want to know more of God. Don't get more of God in their life. But how do you get more of God in your life? Yeah, you've got to be hungry. You've got to be thirsty. But let me tell you, there's one word that comes across that before you'll ever get more of God. And the word is sacrifice. You've got to be prepared to sacrifice time if you want to get to know God better. You've got to spend time more in the word, more in prayer, more in worship. Spend time meeting together with your brothers and sisters on a Sunday morning and midweek. Making time to come to the prayer meeting to get to know more of God. If you're determined to get to know more of God this year, you've got to be willing to put the work in. God just doesn't come to us and make us more like him all of a sudden. No, your daily walk with God is quite hard, isn't it? Yeah? Anybody find... They'll walk with God easy. No, don't think they do. 
It's, it's, getting up, it's putting the time in. We can easily neglect time with God. I wonder how desperate you and I are for Jesus this morning. I know the morning I got saved 42 years ago, I was desperate. I was desperately hungry and thirsty for him. I had been deeply convicted of my sin and my need of a saviour. And I responded to the invitation. And I had to walk from the back of a building like this to the front. I wept like a baby at the front of that church. And then I had to walk back to my seat, all red-eyed. But God, I met with God. I met with God. This morning, you can walk from the back or from where you are, wherever you sat, here this morning, and you can meet with God. Whether you're a non-Christian or whether you're a Christian this morning, you can meet with God. Before I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, again, I was desperate, hungry, and thirsty for Jesus to deliver me and empower me to walk in obedience to him. I knew I was a Christian, but I couldn't walk this Christian life. It was too hard. But be able to be able to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Have I, have you, maybe become a wee bit lackadaisical in our walk with him? Maybe there's not the desire for God that there once was. Maybe there's not the desire to have fellowship with him through prayer, Bible reading, or to obey his word, whatever that may cost. And you know, I'm not afraid of talking about money in church. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about faith and about prayer. And God talks about being a hilarious giver, a generous giver. Not just with our money, but with our time as well. Are we willing to obey what the word of God actually says? Are we willing to go the second and third mile? Turn the other cheek, etc., etc., to give when, there, when, when there's a need? To give when there isn't a need. Are we willing? Do we have a desire to gather with the people of God? To worship him? To have fellowship with him? And one another on a regular basis, say life group. About tonight's prayer meeting, how many are going to be at the prayer meeting tonight, I wonder? Is it going to be the same dozen or 20, whatever it is? Or are we going to have a, a full house? See, have we lost our first love? We need to question ourselves at times. In Corinthians, it encourages us to examine our faith. You see, at Life Group, Michaela asked us, what was the best thing about Christmas? One of the best things to me about Christmas was coming here Christmas morning and worshipping with my church family. For years, I've gone to the places because we didn't have a building. And I've always wanted, I've always sensed that I wanted to go to be in the presence of God on, on, on Christmas morning to thank him for Jesus, his saviour, for the greatest gift of all. And to be here in our own building for the first time was just, for me, it was mind-blowing. To see the place pretty full as well, it was wonderful. If you missed it, you missed a great morning. Be there next year. But it was. That was one of the highlights. And I'm not one for making New Year's resolutions, but if you and I are to have a better 2016 than 2015. We need to have a closer walk with God. That's the bottom line. We need to give ourselves to him and his purposes more and more. 
think less of ourselves and more of others. As John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. That is the bottom line. How can we satisfy that thirst? It's by drinking. It's by coming to Jesus. It's by drinking. Taking that cup of water and drinking it, swallowing it. The great thing about Jesus, what he offers, will never run dry. It's not like a fountain where you have to queue up and, and get some water and have a drink. No, he's, he's, he's got an abundant supply. It's there, available 24-7. But is Jesus really talking about water? No, he's not, is he? Verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, with who, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit's not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, people were baptized by John for their past sins. John said, Jesus, he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This baptism has a future connotation. It is empowered to empower us to resist temptation, to overcome sin, and to walk in obedience to Jesus, our Lord and Master, and be witnesses for him. That's why the Holy Spirit is given. It's not given for us. It's not given for our good, if you like. It is because it helps us an amazing amount. It changed my Christian life around. But it's made that we can be a blessing to others. I'm crackling. Should I take that? Excuse me one moment. So secondly, oh, sounds different. Jesus requires a response. A response of faith in him from each person. In order to come and drink, you must first believe. Put your faith in, trust in Jesus, as you did when you were saved. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you said you'd heard somebody preach, share the word with you, you came repented of your sin... And you are cleansed, forgiven, and you receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus says streams of living water will flow from within him. This is the promise that Jesus has made. That's you and me. Am I going on and off with this? Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive what? Power when what? The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. There will be an outflow Living water will flow from within him. We ha- Listen, we have to be a channel for God to flow through, not a reservoir. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a channel, not a reservoir. Say it again. You are a channel, not a reservoir. Good. I hope you get that in. I've lost where I am now. I used to say that a lot, didn't I? You see, this, this is a personal inner spiritual experience with external consequences. This is the promise that is received by faith. It's a well-known fact, isn't it? The Dead Sea is a dead sea because water flows in but does not flow out. It therefore becomes stagnant. I'm sure you, like me, do not want to be a stagnant Christian void of life. And I have to say, in my 40-odd years as a Christian, I've met a few Christians like that. See, the Holy Spirit is the life 
life-giving spirit. He's the life-giving spirit. He wants to produce the life of God in you and in me. In us and through us. Why? To make us fruitful. And in so doing, bring glory to Jesus. Do you want to bring glory to Jesus? Do you want to be fruitful? Of course you do. Don't you? Good. We've got one or two. But some Christians, I've got to say this, some Christians seem to be unfruitful and lack any spiritual vitality. It's possible, isn't it, for some people to attend church, watch the God channel, study the Bible, listen to the word Sunday by Sunday as it's preached, etc., etc., go to conferences, so on and so forth, and yet seem lifeless and unproductive in their Christian lives. These people are like the Dead Sea. They have several inlets, sources of getting, but... No outlets. To be true and useful believers or Christians, we must not only take in all we can, but we must also give out in service to others. As a nation, we're facing a crisis of obesity, aren't we? I think, as Christians in this nation, we're we're facing the same thing. I think... In this nation, as well as a lot of Western nations, we take in a lot. You come here on a Sunday morning, Steve preaches well. I preach not so badly. Others preach, not as badly. But we preach, we have wonderful worship. We go out of here, I've had a good meal this morning, yeah. We go to life group, and we have more, and we come next, and we come next Sunday full. We need to be giving out. God gives us that we may give out. God blesses you so that you may be a blessing to others. If we're ever going to reach this community for Christ, we've got a people who receive the Holy Spirit, but also give it out. In our homes, in the places we work, in in the shops we visit. We have got to be little Christ-like ones, little anointed ones. That's what the word Christian means, a little anointed one. Do you know you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit to take the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, to a sick and sad society? A world that we live in that needs the gospel more than ever before, I think. A nation, our nation, that needs the gospel more than ever before. You see... We need our lives to be that outflow of the Holy Spirit through our witness, our worship, spiritual gifts. Why, when people get baptised in the Holy Spirit, they often speak in tongues because they've got a well of water in them that has to come out. It's got to find an outlet. And that outlet is often through speaking in tongues. When I was first baptised in the Spirit, what God did for me, I had an outlet of worship. Suddenly, I was able to Raise my hands, dance, sing. I don't do dance so much now, I'm a bit older. But just a joy. There was a joy that was in here that could not be contained. Listen, if you've not had that, it's available for you this morning. It's available for you this morning. God wants to work in your heart and life. You see, if we're going to impact this, this community with the gospel, we've got to have people who are on fire for God. We've got people on fire for God. 
who are willing to put their, 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 their hands to the wheel. We need the power of the Holy Spirit more and more working us and through us in a world which seeks to be rid of Christ. We need those streams of living water welling up and flowing and overflowing to others if we are to affect our community. When Jesus says drink, it's the present imperative, which means to go on drinking. It's not a one-off. It's to go on drinking. Keep drinking. And to continue to drink, you must come to the source, which is Jesus, and put your total faith and trust in him. He is the source of the fountain that wells up inside of believers. We should come to every meeting, whether it's Sunday meeting, life group, or prayer meeting, thirsty for more of God. I'm, I'm going to keep going. I've not got much, but I'm going to keep going. This will of the Holy Spirit not only refreshes our own souls, but should flow out to refresh the lives of others we come in contact. I think I've said that already. So how do I drink of Christ's living spirit? Through drinking, taking into my innermost being what? The word of God. The living word of God. Jesus said this, John 15 Four and five and seven to nine. He says, and I'm going to do away with the NIV, abide. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? Abide in me and I will what? I will abide in you. How does God abide in us? It's through taking his word in. We've been born again of the spirit. We've been filled with the spirit. But it's taking his word in day by day. The living word of God. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are sober words, aren't they? If you abide in me and what my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Some people say, well, that doesn't work. It does. Because God's words abide in you. You will pray for things according to God's word and according to his will. This to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is the living word. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes the word of God and makes it real to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who communicates the presence of Christ to us as we worship and read the word of God. One commentator says this, through the word of Christ, his living water flows into us, into our hearts in order to satisfy and renew us. From inside my heart and soul and mind, it wells up and out to touch those around me. Now the word flows through us, not on the basis of how many scriptures we know, but from our dwelling or living in Christ, the source of all that is life eternal. Thus, We must ever be opening the connection and drink from Christ by abiding in his word. Otherwise, we will quench no inner thirst of ourselves or others. We are to take the life-giving water, the Holy Spirit, to others. This morning, I asked a question. Are you an Oliver? He came to an overbearing master who was outraged at his request. My question to you as a Christian this morning or non-Christian, do you want more? Do you want 
Do you hunger for more of God, more of the Holy Spirit in your life? You may be satisfied with what you have, but I very much doubt it. There's always more. We don't come to a hard taskmaster. We come to Jesus. If you're not a Christian this morning, are you thinking there's a lot more to life than what I'm experiencing? To both Christian and non-Christian, Jesus wants you to come to experience the life-giving spirit that we like streams of water welling up within you. If we can ask the band just to come back up, please. And what I'd like the rest of us to do is can I ask you to stand? People said, well, some people said, well, wonderful gospel message I preached at the carol service. But one thing that's hounded me since that message was that I didn't make call for a response at the end. And I should have done. You know, when Jesus said, stood up, he was looking for a response. And anybody who preaches should look for a response from the people. And can I ask you to be bold this morning? I'm not going to do anything outrageous. Can you hold your hands out as if you're holding a bowl like uh, Oliver did? And I want you to close your eyes. Let's just think. Think of Jesus. Center your thoughts on Jesus right now. Right now. The one who went to the cross for you. The one who died and rose again. You are standing in front of Jesus. God's son, your savior, who loves you more than you will ever know. Who gave his life for you. Who was nailed to a cross to save you from your sins. That you might be forgiven, cleansed and given a new start in life. Just ask God at this moment now, quietly in your heart, what you want. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need to confess that your heart's grown cold? That you need more of Jesus? Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now just keep your eyes closed. I want to pray for each one. I want to pray over you this morning. And if you feel that God is touching you, once we've perhaps sung the song at the end, we'll have a time of ministry where people can be prayed for and hands laid upon. Let me just pray. Father in heaven, I come on behalf of myself and my brothers and sisters and ask that you would come. Come, Holy Spirit, and refresh, renew, reconcile us back to you. Forgive us if we have grown cold. Relight that fire within us and fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. That streams of water will flow from within us. And that we will have a new hunger and thirst for you and your kingdom. That we might produce fruit which will bring glory to your Son, our Saviour. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Just remain singing. We're going to sing.
come, let us worship the King of Kings. And second verse says, come and fill this place with your glory. Come and captivate our gaze. Come and fill us with your fire. That the world, that the world might know your name. Oh, how we long for Sutton. How we long for the UK. How we long for the world to know the name of Jesus. Amen.